This podcast is brought to you in part by Hallow, the number one Catholic prayer and meditation app. Build a habit of prayerful discernment both in this election season and in everyday life. For a 30-day free trial, head to hallow.com slash votingcatholic. Nebraska has um, a very typical continental climate type. And so that means we get hot in the summer, we get cold in the winter, we have high variability from year to year. We can go from really wet to really dry in a very quick period of time. We have blizzards and ice storms. We have um, hail events and tornadoes. We have all kinds of, of severe weather. The agricultural production in the state, that's, that's one of our defining features economically. Um, that's what a lot of, of folks um, you know, do for their livelihood. So our natural environment, um, we have a lot of people that are uh, really tied to that in a very intimate way and have been working on the landscape for generations. My name is Martha Shulsky. I serve as the state climatologist of Nebraska, and I'm also an associate professor in the School of Natural Resources at the University of Nebraska in Lincoln. So a climatologist is somebody who studies the state of the atmosphere, typically over a long period of time. So here in the state of Nebraska, currently our climate, we are going into drought conditions. We're coming off of a very wet year in 2019, and uh, we've been getting drier, um, especially the eastern, southern, and western part of the state. We have been drying out. In Nebraska, we have a lot of, of groups who are increasingly asking about the topic of climate change and people are increasingly concerned about the implications of climate change. Um, there still exists um, quite a bit of resistance and um, uh, maybe doubt or skepticism about climate change. Um, I, I think people feel that it is happening, but making the link to humans are causing climate change. That's difficult for some people. So uh, in my role as state climatologist, I end up communicating to a range of individuals and agencies. And essentially what people want to know is, can you translate for me this very complex topic of climate variability and climate change and tell me what the significant impacts are to, to whatever my sector is that I'm interested in. So one such talk was something I gave uh, in August of 2019. In Nebraska, we were still feeling the impact of the massive flood events that happened in March earlier that year, which was a historic flood of record for us. Uh, I was asked to give a talk in Kearney, Nebraska, on the implications of climate change. Now, earlier in the summer, this community and other surrounding communities had a flash flood event that impacted quite a few businesses in the area and included the convention center where I was speaking. And I had done my research, so I knew this was going to be a skeptical group. Um, so I walk in the convention center and I see that there is bare concrete. Um, there, the damage of this flash flood event was still evident and there was no floor. So I thought, well, aha, that's the frame to my picture of climate change. Thank you all for coming. And um, I believe that Martha Shulsky is going to present first. She is our state climate director. So um, we could just 
welcome Martha. Is this one on? Yes. Can everybody hear me okay if I use this? Good. Okay. So I start my talk off in, by talking about heavy rainfall events, how those have increased over time in Nebraska, how that is something that is going to continue into the future. So uh, this group happened to be uh, mostly farmers. And so I knew what kind of their, their background was and what their their interests and questions were when it comes to climate change and implications. So I give kind of my standard um, implications of climate change uh, talk, and then the questions start. Well, what about solar activity? Uh, what about aerosols? What does that have to do with climate trends that you're seeing? Well, we had a cold winter. Why is that? Um, and one person in particular um, stood up as he's giving his question, and he said, you know, I've been studying weather on my farm for 40 years, and I think it's just natural variability. And so on he goes. And um, one thing that I think he wanted to do was just um, make public his voice. And um, I, I, I often think I'm going to um, stay calm for one thing and just sit back and listen. And what I found over the years in in dealing with a range of audiences on this topic is majority of the time people want to be heard. Um, they want to share their voice and their perspective. And once they do that, then they're typically much more open and willing to have a dialogue and and hear what, what both of us have to say. So after my talk, I get to the back of the room and uh, the gentleman who who asked pretty pointed questions and wanted to voice his opinion, he comes up to me and he says, uh, you know, you're doing great work. And I read your climate summaries every month. And please keep putting those out. Those are really valuable. And um, I it was a very enlightening moment. So in my view, it's it's all about the human side of it. It's all about connecting with people. And that's what I really um, strive to do with whoever I'm talking with is make a connection, tell a story, tap into that human side because science is just not enough. I wouldn't have thought that I would spend this much effort um, convincing people that the science is real. I can put the best, most cutting edge science in front of somebody and it really won't matter if it's not framed correctly or if it's not presented in a way that somebody is unable or unwilling to listen to. So Obama's talking about all of this with the global warming and the, that, and a lot of it's a hoax. It's a hoax. I mean, it's a money-making industry, okay? From hurricanes to rising sea waters to fires burning out of control, climate change is real and it's here. But political polarization in the United States has pushed the debate beyond policy differences to a point where even scientific facts are called into question. The consequences could be catastrophic for the Earth and for human life. 30 years ago, Pope John Paul II challenged Catholics and everyone else to take responsibility for climate change and the ecological crisis. 
It is, as he insisted, also a moral issue. From America Media, I'm Sebastian Gomes, and this is Voting Catholic, a podcast about what's at stake in the 2020 election from the people who know the issues best and bring their faith to the voting booth. In this episode, we face the hard reality of climate change, the facts and the moral imperative to act. We'll be back in a moment. Hi, this is Maggie Van Dorn, and I help produce Voting Catholic. It's no ordinary time for politics and the presidential election. So if you're enjoying Voting Catholic, I recommend signing up for the America Today newsletter. Every day, America delivers free breaking news and analysis from a smart, informed perspective. It's completely free and brings these important stories straight to your inbox, all with the intelligence and civility you expect from America. Visit americamag.org slash newsletters. And thank you for listening. Welcome back. No issue will impact the lives of more people, especially the poor, than climate change. That's why the Catholic Climate Covenant mobilizes American Catholics to take action against it. Today, I'm speaking with its founding executive director, Dan Misley. I began by asking him about the current state of the climate, what the data tells us. At least globally, we know that 20 of the last 21 years uh, on record have been in the 2000s. So essentially every year in the 2000s has been hotter than previous hundreds of years that that we've recorded temperatures. And the hottest of all of those of the 20 hottest years have been in the last five years. So clearly there's a trend towards a more towards a warming planet. Um, since 2010, there have been 18 one in 1,000 year downpour events in the United States. Uh, just a week and a half ago, we had one here in my hometown of Chevrolet, Maryland, where we had four inches of rain in an hour and dozens and dozens of homes were flooded uh, just in my own little community. Clearly, this year is extraordinarily uh, bad for, for uh, forest fires, but before this year, the three most expensive wildfires in the world were in California, the Tubbs fire in 2017 and the Camp and Woolsey fires in 2018. And then turning towards, um, you know, with this racial awareness that we're going through in this country as well, I thought it might be interesting to note that, sad to note, frankly, that the percentage of U.S. African-American children suffering from asthma is nearly twice that of white children and their death rate is 10 times higher. And that's because they live in often highly polluted cities and near power plants and, and the like. So there's a certainly an element of environmental justice that uh, is evident in these types of statistics. So it sounds like climate change has a much broader impact than just like an increase in temperature. You're describing impacts economically, you're describing impacts socially and racially. Um, so this seems like an issue that is pervasive to so many other issues as well that we face in the United States today. Yeah, that's right. I think it's pretty clear that, um, you know, people who, uh, low-income people in this country and around the world, um, who have frankly contributed at least to this particular problem of climate change, are the ones who are going to suffer the worst consequences 
you know, most of these people would be renters. So they wouldn't necessarily have insurance uh, if they lose property. Uh, they, um, you know, have poorer vehicles, if, if a vehicle at all. So they're not able to get out of harm's way as quickly. Um, if you think of like a hurricane in the Gulf states, um, those folks uh, don't have the money for a hotel to stay in a hotel for a week or more. This is a big enough issue where, you know, any real progress is going to uh, demand action from politicians, from legislators. What have politicians been doing over these 20 years to try to tackle this issue? Well, not enough, uh, bottom line, but um, there seems to be more happening at the local and state level and at the federal level. I think that's probably not a surprise to anyone. There was some progress, I think, under the previous administration, particularly on trying to reduce emissions from power plants. That has been rolled back by the Trump administration, as well as a hundred other environmental rollbacks. So this current administration has really um, done, uh, frankly, enormous damage to the environment uh, when you consider what had been in place and what has been now rolled back, including emissions from cars, uh, relaxed uh, standards for power plants and for pipelines. Uh, they withdrew from the Paris Agreement, which is kind of the global um, United Nations focused uh, agreement on reducing emissions and, and uh, getting a handle on climate change. It's not uncommon that issues are, are polarized politically today. Uh, we see that all the time. Um, climate change and concern for the environment strikes me as one of these things that shouldn't be. I mean, we all live on the planet. We would all like to drink clean water. We would all like to avoid you know, natural disasters as much as possible. It seems like we're all in this ship together. Why do you think this issue is so polarized in the United States? I think it has a lot more to do with political ideology than scientific fact. Um, you know, someone will say, well, you d do you believe in climate change? And I, my response to that would be no. I don't believe in it. I know it. I mean, it's a fact. There are scientific facts that say that the burning of fossil fuels is creating a warmer atmosphere and a, a warmer planet, putting too much pollution into the atmosphere that then exacerbates the natural greenhouse gas effect that that we've been living under for the last, you know, 20,000 years or so. I believe in God, uh, something that I have not seen uh, or, or directly witnessed. That's a belief. But climate change is scientific fact. Unfortunately, some people still think it's um, it's a hoax or that the science isn't settled and all of that is not true. Let's look at this issue from a, from a Catholic perspective. Um, what is the Catholic Church's teaching on climate change? In 2001, the bishops wrote a statement on climate change. Um, and in that statement, they basically said, what we know about climate science is enough to demand action. Uh, they used the virtue of prudence to uh, talk about this. And I think it was a pr pretty significant statement at the time. Um, Pope Francis, of course, has, um, with Laudato Si, has really put environmental justice on the map. Laudato Si is his 2015 encyclical on caring for our common home. So one of, one of his most authoritative teachings directed at caring for the planet. That's right. 
yeah. So his his encyclical um, on caring for a common home, I think, did an enormous service to the world, frankly, in um, putting this not in a scientific or a political uh, context, but really in a moral context. And I think that has been so important. Give me an example. Like, what is Francis's thesis in that in that document? What is he really trying to say? You you mentioned that it's he's approaching it from a moral framework. Well, his his message is is that there are three relationships that are that are out of kilter. Um, those three relationships are our relationship with God, our relationship with one another, and our relationship with nature. And what he contends in the encyclical is that all three of those relationships are connected. So, for example, if we treat the earth as a dumping ground, um, we're probably going to treat our neighbors that way. We probably will, you know, it, it becomes uh, a disposable society, a disposable planet, um, a disposable uh, creation, and we can just simply do with what we want with it. And that clearly isn't sustainable, and it's not um, respectful of this gift that we've been given. And it's not respectful to future generations who are going to be dependent on uh, a healthy planet. So you mentioned that the bishops of the United States have made strong arguments for trying to tackle climate change uh, and to, you know, mobilize Catholics in this country to to try to do something about it. I'm wondering if you think that's enough. Um, you know, there's often conversation in the church about you know, a document is great, but what actually happens? Do you feel that the church, the institutional church, the different, you know, communities within the church have done enough in light of how serious the threat posed by climate change has become? No, I don't think that, I don't think the church has done enough, but that doesn't mean that they haven't done some. Um, You know, there are particular dioceses and particular bishops and particular priests and, and other Catholic leaders who have done, you know, a, a, a good amount on this. I think of, for instance, um, uh, you know, the University of Dayton was one of the first Catholic schools to divest its portfolio from fossil fuels. Um, the Diocese of Stockton, California, was one of the first dioceses years and years ago, probably 20 years ago or more, uh, to institute a full-time environmental justice coordinator for the diocese. So there have been a number of efforts out there that that uh, I think have been uh, moving the ball forward, but, um, but it's not commensurate with the urgency of the issue by any means. So Dan, in light of everything that we've discussed, um, I'm wondering what you think the reality of climate change and the Catholic Church's teaching on climate change actually demand of individual Catholics today, especially in light of the election that's coming up? Well, I think individual Catholics can do a number of things. Um, And I think the first and most important is to pray and to meditate about the good gift of creation. You know, I, I always encourage people just get outside and take a look around and know that all of this is under threat if we don't get a handle on climate change. And then the you know the moving to the more practical and uh, the more obvious things, we have to begin to reduce the amount of emissions that we're creating in this country per capita. It's it's far and above where even most developed countries um, 
produce, uh, never mind, uh, you know, poorer countries. The other thing that I think we need to come to grips with is our travel. And certainly the COVID experience, this pandemic experience that we've been going through, we've we've all begun to realize that we can we can get a lot done uh, work-wise uh, through, you know, these uh, Zoom calls and, and other virtual meetings because uh, flights are terribly um, carbon producing. So we need to begin to think about reducing our flights as well. But also talk to your pastor. Uh, you know, a lot of people say to me, my pastor just doesn't talk about these things. And if he doesn't, then I think it's up to us to encourage our pastors to do so. Um, you know, one of the things that the Catholic Climate Covenant has begun trying to address this very question of polarization is we've begun a uh, Catholic energies program where we basically bring market-based approaches to doing energy efficiency and renewable energy work that's available to any Catholic institution. And the reason we started this program is because it just makes a lot of sense. If we want to reduce our energy use, we need to tighten up our buildings, our churches, our schools, our universities, our hospital systems, our retreat centers. So there are just so many great and wonderful things about pursuing these types of projects. They reduce greenhouse gases, they save money, uh, they employ people, they are a witness to the wider community, and frankly, a witness to our young people who are looking for their church for leadership on this. Like other environmental challenges, only more so, global warming presents a test of foresight, of political courage, and of the unselfish concern that one generation knows to the next. John McCain, as everyone knows, was a, uh, a senator who passed away a few years ago, and a Republican from Arizona who, earlier in his career, began to understand the issue of climate change. and. Uh, and co-sponsored some legislation with Joe Lieberman. And John McCain got some pushback, of course, on that from uh, some of his fellow Republicans. But he said this in an interview, he said, suppose we're wrong and there's no such thing as greenhouse gas emissions and we adopt green technologies. All we've done is give our kids a better planet. I think that's the bottom line is what, what are we doing to pass along this gift of creation to children. And I think John McCain saw that very clearly. Martha, you're a climatologist and you're also a Catholic. And I'm wondering, you know, in light of your many years of work in this field, uh, studying the science, um, you know, and also bringing a faith perspective to your work, how you approach an election like the one that's that's coming up um, in November of 2020. So last year, um, I was invited to give a talk at uh, Creighton University, um, and and I reviewed the Pope's encyclical Laudato Si, which I, um, admittedly, I had not read all the way through before I was preparing for to deliver that address. It's a long document. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and, and it was very beautifully written and uh, such a call to action. And certainly the, the major thing that sticks with me is how it's the greatest existential threat of our time. If we don't address these very critical 
um, topics and don't act soon to mitigate future climate change, the world will be around, but it won't be one that we want to live in. Um, so that's something that really um, drives me. It's a moral issue. We're, we're not treating our environment um, the way we should. Um, what I also look at is the fact that climate change is disproportional. The impacts will be felt most strongly by marginalized, poor, elderly, sick, people of color, tribal populations, those people are going to be impacted far greater than I am. And that's, I, I have a real problem with that. You know, the scale of this issue and the state of our world, the state of our environment, to me, that's, this is really a defining piece in this election. Martha, thanks very much for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you so much. I truly enjoyed it. next time on Voting Catholic. There's just this big belief in America that if you just work hard enough, if you just try hard enough, you won't be living like that. We're taking an honest look at poverty in the United States today. I don't believe decision makers actually understand how hard it is to feed a family, even if you're clocking in and out of a job. For complete coverage of the 2020 election from America Media, visit americamagazine.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting us. Visit americamagazine.org donate or subscribe to our award-winning print magazine. Thanks for your support. And if you know someone who would enjoy this podcast, please let them know about it. That's the simplest way to spread the word about the series. Voting Catholic is a production of America Media, a Jesuit ministry. This episode was written and produced by me and Maggie Van Dorn. Sound design and mixing by Ashley Spillane. With production assistance from Kevin Robles and Erica Rasmussen. Art by Sean Tripoli and Allison Hamilton. It was recorded at a safe distance in the William J. Loeschert studio at America Media in New York City. Voting Catholic was made possible by the generous support of Beth and Tom Rainey. I'm your host and executive producer, Sebastian Gomes. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Ashley McKinless. And I'm Zach Davis. And we're the hosts of Jesuitical, America Media's podcast for young yeah, and young at heart Catholics. Each week, we break down the latest Catholic news, interview an interesting person with a unique perspective on faith and culture, and try our hand at faith sharing, asking ourselves where we found God in that week or where it was harder to find God. It's like those big dorm room conversations that you used to have in college, but better and in a podcast. <laughs> and we're usually having a cocktail or two on the show, and we would love for you to join us. So check out Jesuitical from America Media wherever you listen to your podcasts.